Welcome back to the Lost Luggage podcast, the podcast that says, shares travel stories of different endeavours and adventures from crashing into a river in Russia, in Siberia to be precise, or losing your passport in Iraq or drawing on a passport and getting detained in Vietnam. That's us. But we have taken a detour away from what we normally do. And in this time, in this pandemic and in this lockdown, we're discussing some of the films that made us into the people we are today. In part one, Will told us through some of the films that he found the scariest, the films that made him cry, and the films he would ultimately take into heaven if he was murdered by someone who said he couldn't drive. Is that right, Will? Someone said he couldn't drive and you murdered them? I, they... I, couldn't, I couldn't take the disrespect. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and yeah, yeah. Fair enough. So we're taking a diversion away from what we normally do to talk about the films that made us into the human beings we are today for better or for worse so we're not going to fuck about we're not going to tell any weird stories we're going to dive straight into part two where it's my turn to find out how i turned into the weird suspect human species man i am today that made no idea but we'll keep it in <laughs> no worries right join us again in one second So, Ollie, Ollie Jenks has turned up dead. The police have identified his body via dental records. They know it's 100% him. But how did he die? That's the first question. Ollie, how did you bite the dust? Um, I've not thought about this whatsoever. <laughs> um, I, I think like, everyone thinks or everyone wants to go out in like a hero, heroic way, like you're saving an old lady from being hit by a bus. And then you mm-hmm. get hit by a bus. <laughs> but because I'm quite a tragic person and I'm quite clumsy, I think what would actually happen is that I go to save an old lady from a bus, but then like rather than push her out the way, I accidentally pull her into me and then we both get killed. Yeah. That would be um, more likely to happen. So like, I can't think of anything else. So let's go. We're about to get hit. Uh, I, I save a woman from getting hit by a bus. I get caught in a handbag. Absolutely, yeah. drag it down on top of me, and then we both get hit. <laughs> Perfect. That actually reminds me of when I hurt my knee in Vietnam. Not to oh, do no. any travel anecdotes, but yeah. when that girl, the girl, the American girl, came up to me and was like, "How did you hurt your knee?" And I was just like, "I was saving a, a boat full of orphans." A shark. <laughs> <laughs> it's so ridiculous. Yeah. Okay. So you get one movie or film, as we say, because that's what the actual correct term is, and not Americans one film to take with you to heaven. That is the concept. Am I right there? Yeah, completely right. But uh, first we need to find out some other things about your film list. Sorry, I just dropped my list then. (laughs) (laughs) So, first one coming up is the first film you remember seeing. Um, This is a tricky one. Mm -hmm. Because when I was very young, my parents divorced quite early so so me and my brother wouldn't kill each other my mum would just put on films mm. so I got two distinct memories oh three actually <laughs> and they all kind of merged into like the same time period I couldn't put one ahead of the other I remember watching a lot of The Lion King which came out yeah. in 93, 94 I think so I would have been about three or four anyway um, I watched that a hell of a lot Toy Story, I think, was the first film I saw in the cinema. That came oh, out in 95. 
and also it's a weird one mm-hmm. Star Wars A New Hope mm. uh, yeah no, that does make sense though wait is A New Hope A New Hope's not one of the prequels that's one of the originals right it came out in 1977 I'm not yeah, that old before people start going, saying maybe mentally I am but I'm pretty yeah. sure they re-released it in cinemas, which I think they used to do with films quite a lot. I remember Jaws being on in the cinema yeah. quite a lot as well. I think they re-released it, and I think my mum thought it was quite... Because my mum went to watch it when she was a kid and was like in awe by it. And you know, of the time, no, no one had seen anything like it before. I think she thought it would be a good thing for me and my brother to get to go and watch and try and have mm. the same nostalgic kind of cinema experience. And to be mm. fair, yeah, I've been a massive Star Wars fan ever since, and... That was that was the first film I think I saw properly in the cinema, and was completely involved in the in the storyline and stuff. When but were you yeah. young, when the prequels came out? Were you young enough to enjoy them? Um, that will be an answer to one of the questions coming <laughs> up. I won't spoil it. I had a feeling it would be. Okay, that's good. That's a very good choice. I mean, I'm glad you came up with three. Toy Story was a very good film. The first one. To be fair, Toy Story is the only other film I could remember seeing when I was super young. That's all I could remember. But it's you, must have, you must have watched Disney films, like the old yeah, style. Well, like I watched, Jungle, I watched Book. Tons, Jungle like Book. Jungle Book's up there. Jungle Book. Yeah, I just can't remember how old I was when I saw them, you know? Yeah. Like, like I could have seen Toy Story. Like, Toy Story, I know I saw that when I was super young. I definitely remember that. Yeah, but um, do you know Toy Story only got made because of Star Wars? Really? Yeah, because of the technology they use to create that new kind of animation that we've become so synonymous with today with Pixar films. Um, it was made by LucasArts. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> Did you know Toy Story, um, late in the production, someone accidentally deleted the entire movie off I've the media? Yeah. Yeah, and then um, one of the staff members had a backup copy, and that's the only reason they actually managed to release that's it. So which is it's pretty yeah. funny. It? It it's was, pretty stupid yeah. on their part. It's like, as they said, luckily they had a backup copy. But you would have thought that is like the norm for like all films. You wouldn't just like in the you old days of like The Wizard of Oz. You wouldn't have just had one reel of thirty-five millimeter film. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Any any um, paid project doesn't even matter if it's a film. Anything you're getting paid for and you're doing on a computer, definitely back it up. Have you ever it's done no homework reason. and then like deleted it by accident or like written an essay? the college and then like deleted it or your computer froze yeah in my in my school people did the work in the library and it was a really common thing to just go into the library and just unplug the the main computer <laughs> like and it would turn off about eight computers around a corner and then just, just oh, run no. off and it was horrible <laughs> looking back on it like i found it hilarious i never did it but like i found it hilarious when people did it because it pissed so many people off but that's horrible. Like people would be writing eight thousand words, and it would just be deleted immediately. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing a dissertation for the yeah. PhD or whatever. I remember in my school, was... like pathologically, um, they'd save their work. You'd save your work every ten seconds because you're so scared. Yeah, I got paranoid about doing stuff like that. It still happens now, to be fair. Like my Mac will freeze or something. Like, oh, I just start shouting and swearing at it. But I remember at uni, at uni, I was one of these people who leaves all their work to the last minute. And then um, I was writing like a, an essay on a on a on a film, um, Natural Born Killers. If you're interested, yeah, do recommend watching. The screenplay was written by Tarantino, directed by uh, Oliver Stone. Very good film. Got um, an inform, what's his name, Woody Harrison in it. 
and Robert Downey Jr. before the drugs. Um, great film, Natural Born Killers. Anyway, I was writing an essay on that, and uh, I think I finished it, and then I must have hit like I hit like Control Escape or something because like Microsoft Word froze and um, it went back to a version which had like the title on it, and that was it. <laughs> Oh, I was so angry. Was, yeah. I was in a rage. Title Rooney. Okay, next one. This is one I'm quite interested to find out, actually. I mean, to be honest, a lot of these I'm interested to find out. Um, film you found the scariest? Um, okay. I must point this. I'm not a fan of horror, mm-hmm. which is why I was quite glad you said Buried, because it's not, I suppose it's more of a tense thriller it's than anything. Thriller, horror. It's, not, it's not horror. Yeah, you're right. It's more of a thriller. Um, I just, I'm more of a, I, I don't want to like. I don't want to create like two teams of like comedy versus horror. But I'm just naturally more inclined to watch something that has a, a which is positive and like, you know, like films like Hostel, where it is just like intentionally made to push the boundaries of what you can put on a screen. Yeah, also, I, I, I just don't see the point. It does not like I've I've been invited to go and watch the Saw films when they came out, and I just went no. I just knew I wouldn't enjoy it. It just does nothing for me. The only horror film I actually liked was Cabin in the Woods. And that was because it was like a homage to previous um, horror films of the genre and it had a good cast and the end was nothing like I've seen before and it's somewhat of a comedy as well. That's the only one I kind of liked. Which film was that? And um, Cabin in the Woods. Okay, yeah. I haven't seen that. So it's, got, it's, got, it's, it's very clever because it's purposely got quite a mundane shit title for a film. Yeah. But then when it goes into like space aliens and stuff at the end, Mm. and they're all in like a massive museum it's really really cool yeah. and actually i quite enjoyed dawn of the dead as well when that came out oh i love that yeah that's good that's got some um, good as well. but as far as horror goes that is the limit of what i'll go to so scary films i've got a few there's a film called funny games um which was a danish film but then was remade shot for shot by the same director and writer in america with tim roth in it yeah. and um, what's the name from Naomi Watts from King Kong um, it's, it's if you don't know what it is it's like a basically a family trapped in their holiday home with two like teenage serial killers um, what that scare well it's, it's not like out and out gory scary but what's scary about it is that it was quite real and you can kind of envision being in that you know how scary the world can be mm, yeah well, I mean it's Horror as a genre, I think, works for me only in uh, cinema. That's one thing that I would say. Yeah. It depends on the type of uh, horror, but I saw with some friends before the lockdown, uh, like The Nun or The Conjuring. I can't remember what film it was. And on TV, oh, yeah. it's not scary at all because it's all jump scares and sound effects and stuff. It's like, yeah. it's one of those genres that, like, action, for example, is much better in the cinema, but I think some horror films. Like totally, I, I don't get anything out of them. Just like you, watching them at home. Yeah, they just don't do anything for me, and I don't know why you'd purposely go and pay money to for you to go and like actively get scared. Yeah, um, but it doesn't like the same way. I don't. I'm not really into theme parks. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I just. Well, so I, I've never been to Fall Park or Disneyland. I'm just not. I'm just not in. It just doesn't do anything for yeah. me. I'd rather climb a mountain. You know what I mean? I I always got shit from people because I would never want to go to theme parks. Doesn't they? But I like, will. We're gonna. I just never wanted to like pay 20 quid or whatever to go somewhere and just be like given anxiety the whole time. 
And I get, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'm still sort of shocked and adrenaline fueled all the time. My my veins are always full of cortisol. I don't want to like pay to make that even worse. I don't know what yeah. out of it, but yeah, it's each their own. But I know what you mean. Okay. I suppose on like a chemical level, the body goes and makes you as scared as possible, and then your body goes into shock because you realise it's not real. And then again, you release a different kind of endorphins that kind of make you feel safe. I guess that's what people get out of it. But yeah. I just don't put myself in that situation in the first place to even bother. Yeah, exactly. It's just I, I, I really I release the same endorphins by laughing or finding something clever or funny, you know. Yeah. And that's where I get it off. I don't get it off in horror or or a roller coaster. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Perfect. Um, um, but yeah, funny games. Psycho, the Alfred Hitchcock film, because that obviously Hitchcock is a name in the film you'll hear time and time again so i went out of my way to watch psycho and yeah just again you're in suspense the whole time again it is all based around sound mm-hmm. um again no, nothing particularly scary in it but um yeah found it quite scary as a young kid final destination oh those are classic they're ridiculous they're the entire the in- yeah i know again not very scary but it's same as funny games it's the Re, it's the it, it, the the, death, the faint, infamous deaths in Final Destination are all things that could happen. Like I think in Final Destination Five, which even saying that you can tell it's a shit film, but um, I think what he just like literally slips in some water and cracks his head open on the side of a sink and dies. Like that could actually happen to me tonight. You know what I mean? Yeah, some of the deaths on that, that on that well, some of those movies were absolutely horrific. They may be scared to go. Yeah, out exactly. Out. Well, funny enough, I think one of them, uh, a woman's on the phone and she gets hit by a bus. Yeah. Which is how I died, which is how I died when I go to heaven, apparently. Exactly. You got I didn't even mean for that to happen, but uh, that's created quite a good narrative in this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I mean, all, all the deaths in that, which were quite graphic and horrific, were all very real. They were all things that could happen. And that scared me shitless as a, as a young teenager. I was like... I'm the kind of per- that's why I was so cautious and still am very cautious. Um, mm. And yeah, you know what I'm getting. And, and Blair Witch, I can never. I've still I, to this day, I've still not watched the end of. Mm. Well, I know I know someone who's I know two people actually who were terrified and never went in sunbeds because of the sunbed death. In I can't remember which Final Destination it was, but it's the yeah. thing where um, something falls on top of <coughs> someone. Sorry. Oh my god, my throat is so dry. Um, something falls on top of the two sunbeds and then turns them all the way up and it literally fries both of the people like to the point where their eyeballs yeah. explode. And because of that, this girl never went near a sunbed, ever. It like affected Good. people. It really affected... And also that probably saved her life genuinely because those things are like literally cancer machines. Yeah, they're not good for you. They're not good for you. But yeah, yeah, it did make me um, a bit agoraphobic when you can't go outside. Yeah. That... Yeah, agoraphobia. Yeah. But yeah, I think that that film—I can't remember which film it was—where they have the sunbed scene has probably reduced the amount of skin cancer deaths massively, and I genuinely mean that because I guarantee everyone who saw that film thought twice about going on a sunbed, even though it's a ridiculous. Yeah, but then, t- but then, ten years later, the only way is Essex comes out and uh, yeah, undoes all the undoes all the good work. Undoes all the good work. That final destination. <laughs> mm, it's really fun. Okay, next one. Film that you have watched the most. There's so many, like, because me and my brother used to, like, um, we used to, have, like, before we went to bed, we used to 
choose whose turn it was to choose a film to watch mm-hmm. before like we we didn't have tv in our room. we had a tv in our room but we didn't have um or in the playroom we we um didn't have like a skybox in there or freeview or we just had a playstation to play dvds on mm-hmm. so i watched we watched a hell of a lot of the lord of the rings yeah um uh, like my brother would watch that on repeat to my annoying I, I do love the films they are fantastic films but watched them probably a little too often um and we used to play the PlayStation games and they used to have cut scenes from the actual film in the game. Um, so if that, if that counts, hell of a lot of James Bond films. Um, they used to play every Sunday. They used to play a different James Bond film on ITV. Mm-hmm. Um, See, so we, we used to re-record them on VHS and then just watch them. So yeah, a lot of Bond films. Um, but the two films I managed to narrow it down to, are Ocean's Eleven, mm-hmm. which does feature again in another question coming up. Um, just obsessed with that film. That was it. Was just like I think it's the first film I watched where it has an ensemble cast, which normally doesn't work famously with the Ghostbusters yeah. ramp we went on in the last podcast. But you got Brad Pitt, Clooney, uh, Don Cheadle. Um, you got all these famous faces and actors. Uh, Julia Roberts and um, Matt Damon but it fucking works and it was just really really cool it was also a massive middle finger up to the system to the establishment there's a big payoff at the end you want to be every single character in that film at some point they're kind of like lovable rogues or like renegades um, and I, I like it's one of those films for me where if I went for a breakup or something I'd just whack that on and it's a very easy watch it's not too long it's got cool scenes in it, cool one-liners, you know. And the other one was uh, Shaun of the Dead. Which oh, obviously, yeah. Would you say they're like comfort films for you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it's um same way like I get a packet of Haribo when I'm feeling a bit depressed. Shaun of the Dead is my Haribo. It is, to me, probably the greatest British comedy film of all time. Yeah. It's dead, well, certainly up there. I mean, it's, it's top three. It's part of British culture, really, isn't it? I would say, sure. Oh, it is. And having watched Dawn of the... I actually watched Dawn of the Dead before I watched Shaun of the Dead and then getting all the references and um, just understanding it in so many different dimensions. And I watched Spaced as well, which if you don't know, Spaced is the sitcom on Channel 4 that Nick Frost, Simon Pegg and um, Edgar Wright, the director, all worked on before they got a film deal with Shaun of the Dead. And one of the episodes is Spaced is a premature version of Shaun of the Dead. Um, it's ba- both seasons one of two are on Netflix, so highly recommend. If you're going to watch anything, watch Spaced. Mm, yeah, Spaced is good. Okay, good. Very good choices. Um, which one am I on now? Film that makes you laugh the most. Um, it's weird because I don't really laugh out. I laugh out loud at my own jokes, but I don't laugh out loud at other yeah. people's. Like, I'm kind funny. of a person who, because I'm a massive comedy fan and I love the writing and comedy and I love different types of comedy. Like I appreciate if someone original comes and just doesn't do standard observational stand-up comedy. Like I'm finding that a bit boring now. Like so many people are doing the same stuff, um, which is why I've never really liked people like Russell Howard. Like I appreciate he's a good stand-up comic, but I, I think like him and Jack Whitehall are very, very similar in the terms of jokes they make. And I just find it a bit, yeah. a bit easy. Um, so I'm, when something that is something like I've never seen before, I, instead of laughing out loud, I just go, 
that's fucking funny in my head and I appreciate that and I smile for like minutes on top um so I hot fuzz was which was a 15 when it came out and I think I turned 15 when it was in cinemas I remember going to see that in the cinema and laughing my head off yeah. um actually laughing out loud for like the first time I found that just the one liners in that were incredibly funny and it remains to this day probably my favorite film of all time and definitely up there for another film I've watched a lot. Mm. Uh, a game of Shaun of the Dead. Um, watching Tropic Thunder in the cinema, there was one scene in that when, obviously, if you don't know the film, they're, re- they're, re- they're remaking a film about the Vietnam War, and obviously they've got pretend guns, but then there's actual guerrilla fighters who are, like, scoping them out in the jungle, and they're pretending to fire... They're firing blanks, and the, um, the guerrilla fighters think that they're real, and they start running away. And uh, Ben Stiller's character is just like, come on there, motherfuckers. Mm-hmm. And he's like doing all these ridiculously like flips and like roly polies and stuff with the gun and like showing off. And the people are actually running away from it. That was that was very funny. Mm-hmm. He, he, he like throws like a fake grenade and they all run away from it. It's quite funny. But I think um, like me with I, the comedy because like it's, it's about things. Comedy has got to be sort of fresh and new. So when you were talking about yeah. and Jack Quayle, I know what you mean. Like there's a lot of comedy that everyone has already said it. And when someone makes something like Tropic Thunder or uh, Shaun of the Dead, at least we're going, it's funny because that's such a new, ridiculous premise. Like, it's ridiculous because, like, I've got the DVD here of Shaun of the Dead, like, sitting next to my computer, and I just read the back of it while you were talking. Mm. And it says, um, Shaun, I haven't got it now, uh, but it says something like, Shaun is a 30, whatever, 30-year-old man is girlfriend's left him this that he needs to get his life together he needs to get his girlfriend back he needs to do this there's only one problem the dead are coming back to life and killing the living and you just read mm. that and just that on its own is like so ridiculous that is it's I think so what makes that particularly good is that it's quintessentially english mm. and it's kind of like the re-success of you know english comedy in a way because yeah. it's realistic it's making a zombie film which is unrealistic very realistic because yeah. it's what would happen if it actually happened. It's not like, well, you know, like when World War Z came out with Brad Pitt and it was like over the top, he's just automatically sensationally good with a gun and a helicopter. You've got Sean, he's useless at life, he's failing at life, he's got a failing relationship. Mm. Um, and he starts throwing vinyl at a zombie because he hasn't got anything else. Like that, that is British humour. You know what I mean? If that was an American film, if Shaun of the Dead was in America, the guy would have a shotgun underneath his pillow and he'd just blow the head off a zombie. You know what I mean? It just wouldn't be the same. But yeah. he's like going for his vinyls and he's like, oh, I don't want to chuck that one away. That reminds me of Liz, my girlfriend. And then he chucks the Batman soundtrack at a fat zombie. Like, it doesn't get better than that. Have you ever seen This Is The End? Yes, I have. Do you think that's like the American version of it? Like, the humour... The human um, it's, yeah, that was like the first uh, American comedy I watched when they were like they were self-aware and whatever else. But I think that's just more of Seth Rogen's um, type of humour, to be honest. Mm, yeah, I get what you mean. Yeah. I do like this. Yeah, it's very rewatchable. Anyway, um, yeah, so laugh the most. Shaun of the Dead's up there. Hot Fuzz is up there for the one-liners. Life of Brian. That's classic. Uh, you do agree. Will come up. It, it will. It will come up again in a minute in another question but that like the first time I watched it I thought it was good funny but didn't really understand the hidden meanings behind it 
Um, the older I got and the more I got to know about politics, religion, and how it was first received when it came out in this country, I just found it funnier and funnier and more groundbreaking. And then, like, it's one of those films you can rewatch and you find something different funny with it. Mm. Is that the Each film time you watch it? that was the most boycotted? Yes. So, yeah, Life of Brian was heavily boycotted. Mm. Um, in my local council, the Council of Torquay actually only made it um, available to watch in public in 2010. Wow. I bet in America it was absolutely hammered. Can you imagine, like, in the Bible um, about any southern state showing that film? Yeah, I don't think it was released. You know, it was, it was all financed by um, George Harrison. Really? The Beatle, for those that don't know. Yes. Really? Can, yeah, can he you, had to remortgage his house to make get it made. Can you do your and, impression um, of um, Brian's mum? Sorry? Can you do your impression of uh, Brian's mum from the film? Oh, I've, not, I've not done it well. I will in a second. But the um, the, the only reason George Harrison financed it because he said it was the um, he just he read the script and he just wanted to see it. He wanted <laughs> to see the film. I wish and I Eric Idol, Eric Idol always jokes. Well, obviously George Harrison's dead now, but uh, he used to joke with him saying. You're the you're going to hold the record for the uh, person to buy the most expensive cinema ticket ever. Yeah, the entire price of the film. <laughs> I'll try and do the impression. Do the "He's not the Messiah" bit. That's the best one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's not the Messiah. He's a really naughty boy. Now go away. You see, I don't know why you were shy to do that. That is like pitch perfect. I don't. It's one of those one of those things I've done one day, and it, someone was like, oh, "That's pretty good." No, but like that, but, is, um, that is dead on. Like, I, I, it's quite scary. Terry Jones. That is. Yeah, he died last year. R.I.P. Yeah. I'll tell you what else was what's brilliant about that film as well, and I, it will come up again. But um, obviously, at the end, you've got one of the glorious feel-good songs of all time. Um, always look on the bright side of life and that to me is the archetypal song but when I was hitchhiking through France and we got picked up by this random woman um, she spoke quite good English and we were speaking to her about travelling and she was like I'd always wanted to move to England and we were like really? Why would you want to move there? and she goes I just love British humour like here in France you know we haven't really got much of a comedy scene or um, you know or make anything I really like and I was like okay what kind of like comedy do you like? she's like oh uh, Monty Python is the I think the greatest. She was in her fifties, and she says she's a big fan of Monty Python. And before you know it, I attach my iPod to her car stereo, and me, my mate, and this French woman who's given us a lift to Bordeaux are all singing "Always Look on the Great Bright Side of Life." Oh, that's such a good moment. <laughs> and that, if, if a film can transcend that, it it deserves a place on one of the greatest films of all time. Yeah, you know what's really weird, that but anyway. Uh, is the fact that, you know, Del Boy from the... Well, not Del Boy. Uh, he was in... What was it? Only Fools and Horses? Uh, David Jason. Yeah. The actor. Yeah, no, I like the... Yeah, exactly. Del Boy is a character in Only Fools and Horses. Yeah. I'm not getting that wrong. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was the most popular show in Yugoslavia for its entire runtime. To the point where... Like, really? Every single person in Yugoslavia, if, if he went there, he would... He would be accepted into any household, given dinner immediately, photos. It was insanely wow. popular there because apparently it was because it was you know working guy just trying to make ends meet. And it, yeah, yeah. Yugoslavia, same comedy scene. I think Europe really likes mm. British comedy, maybe. Yeah, I, mean, I think little pockets like Mr Bean, like it's just you can go to a little Tibetan village where they've only ever seen one program, and that program probably is Mr Bean. Mm, yeah, very true. 
But anyway, for um, sorry, I, I digress. It's been a long question. But very quickly, on on like, if you want to laugh out loud, there are two film, three films, sorry, that you would want to watch, and you would laugh out loud, and it's almost a guarantee. Um, Airplane. Oh, yes. Oh, and if you don't know what that is, Airplane, ladies and gentlemen, if you watch those, the famous line, "Surely you can't be serious." Yes, I am, and don't call me Shirley. Yeah, you, you like. That is like I say I don't laugh out loud. Airplane made me laugh out loud. Yeah, I think I didn't remember Airplane when I was writing my list. I think that no, it's me, I, I, I literally only just wrote it in twenty minutes ago. Um, and the other one, which is a similar format, is Naked Gun. Oh yeah, it's kind of same uh, in a way. It's it's made by the same people. Yeah. Uh, it's got the same people in it, including OJ Simpson. Weirdly enough, um, yeah, very weird. He's actually pretty good in it for a. Uh, murderer, rapist. Well, um, do you remember the opening of the film where he break? He tries to do that drug bust. And he just like steps in a bear trap and like breaks his hand. Yeah. <laughs> but well, I, I like the ending where um, the bad guy like falls off the edge of the stadium, and then like a marching band just like goes over him, and it just goes on forever. Mm. There's just so many, there's so many good moments in that film. Yeah. Um, it should make a gun for those that don't know. It's basically a James Bond spoof. And the final one is um, Spinal Tap. Spinal Tap, I, I'm going to annoy you here. I haven't seen. Now, a lot of a lot of people, kind of our age, probably haven't, but it's probably regarded as the most influential comedy of all time. It is a mockumentary, and it's probably the first mockumentary that was ever made. Like Ricky Gervais basically cites, if there wasn't any Spinal Tap, there would have been no office because. When, you know what we said earlier about there being a brand new kind of comedy mm-hmm. Spinal Tap was that so essentially it's about a failed rock band that were once really big but not anymore and then they um, kind of come out of retirement to do a world tour and it's a documentary about that but it's a it's a mockumentary it's a fake documentary and um, you know it's all it's all where it all goes wrong and stuff it's just quite funny like there's a bit where they they're playing a show in Japan and they're, they're meant to be like a heavy metal group and they come out of these pods <laughs> <laughs> they come out of these like alien pods mm-hmm. at the start of the show but one of the pods doesn't open so <laughs> for the entire song he's just trapped in this pod and then at the end of the song they're meant to go back in the pods but just as the song ends he escapes out the pod just as the other two are getting back in it's just like it's just perfect comedy timing it's oh, um, that was the worst part it is it, you won't regret it and the people listening at home it's um, if you like music and if you like The Office you're going to love this. And then the, pe- the people in that film like went on to make The Simpsons and went on to make um, Best in Show, if you've seen that, and a few loads of other films. Hmm, very I'm just looking it up now. It's, it's, I might watch that tonight as well. It's fucking awesome. Uh, anyway, that, wait, that's what, a lot what, on there. What were we just talking about again? I just totally... <laughs> that's the film that makes you laugh the most. No, I mean, what actual film? It was the... Spinal Tap. Spinal Tap, that was it. Sorry, I totally forgot. Oh, damn, it's not on uh, Netflix. Oh, well. No. Oh, before we move on to the next one, very quick story. I know this this question is just like my life, essentially. But um, when when me and my brother went to go and see Shrek, we were big wrestling fans at the time, like WWF and WWE. Can't wait to see how this linked to the Shrek thing. (laughs) Yeah, so there's a scene in Shrek where um, they're like having like a wrestling match in a kind of almost a ring. Mm-hmm. 
and me and my brother related to it so much because they're like get the chair and like we just found it so funny but my brother had an asthma attack because he was laughing so much and we had to call an ambulance an ambulance did he not yeah have in no, he, he couldn't breathe. He stopped breathing. We had to, we had to call him an ambulance. Jesus. He was laughing so much. That's a good review. Good review. <laughs> Put that on the front of the uh, DVD cover. Yeah, genuinely nearly killed me. <laughs> nearly died. That would be a good way to get into heaven, actually. I should have said that. Oh, well. Moving on. Uh, oh, yeah. Sorry. Next question. So we just did the funniest. Uh, film that you loved as a kid, but you find shit now. That's going to be a weird one. All right, this is going to make a lot of people angry. I've got two. Oh, God. The first one you might agree with. Um, any Eddie Murphy movie? Mm, yeah, I never was into Eddie Murphy. But the thing no. is, I'm thinking of Shrek right now, because he's in that. Yeah, no. Um, nothing about that. I'm thinking specifically of The Nutty Professor. Yeah, same. I'll go with you on that. Uh, I, I, I'll be shortened. I enjoyed it as a kid. Watched it not too long ago, and it just did not find it funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll give you that. What's the second? I just, I, I, I was like, how I was questioning how I found it entertaining as a kid. Um, I, I can't really say more than that. That's just my thoughts. Yeah, don't know why. Just the way I feel. Um, I think, I think actually, why is because as the before mentioned question, when you watch films like Spinal Tap, Shaun of the Dead, Life of Brian in your later life having not seen them before and then you go back to watch Night Professor you go you know what Night Professor's shit like compare compared to those genius films this is awful like how did this get made yeah it's like a lot of it is is like you know fart humour and slapstick humour which when you're older yeah, and then... seeing a lot of good comedy you look at it and you look at someone falling over or like shitting himself and you go like it's not it's not funny to you anymore mm. true 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 and the other one, which is going to divide opinion, yeah. because it has the great Robin Williams in it, and I do love Robin Williams, and he, he, oh. he made far, far many a good film than he's bad. And it was a film I loved as a kid, absolutely loved. I'd probably go as far as saying it's probably my favourite film as a child, but it doesn't stand up, doesn't stand the test of time, in my opinion. And that film is Hook. Hook, yeah. You know what? Hook is on, on this list I saw the other day of like the most critically uh, shit on films that was really popular with audiences. And I think yeah, Spielberg's when got... When you're a kid, it's fine. Dustin Hoffman is... Um, what's his name? Captain Hook. What's his name? The film's called Hook. Fucking idiot. His name. What's, what's the guy in the, in the Hook? You know, what's... <laughs> what's the guy? Oh, my God. Yeah, what's yeah. it? What's the film? What's the uh, Dustin, Ho- Dustin Hoffman as Captain Hook is amazing. Yeah. But I like I was just amazed by um you know as a kid like the food fight scene and like but I don't know in older lot I think I rewatched it not too long ago because it was on Channel Five um and I know maybe it's a kids film and you're not meant to enjoy kids films when you're an adult but I just found it a bit absurd like how this guy goes missing and he's hanging around with a bunch of kids and no one questioned he was wasn't a paedophile you know like yeah, I guess that's, I just, it's a fantasy kind of film it's hard to yeah I just, I just didn't enjoy it that's I, I, that's again no I can understand why I liked it as a kid and I can understand why I don't like it now just didn't enjoy it when I was watching it last time yeah fair enough okay sim- similar kind of question uh, film critically bad but you love 
Um, okay, I've got three, so I'll start in descending order, I guess, and then end with the one I completely agree with. Um, have you heard of a film called John Carter? Uh, no. I thought it was Jack Reacher then for a second. It was a, it was a, it was, yeah, it was a massive Disney film and it was meant to be like the next Avatar. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, completely flopped because, like, the hardcore fans of the original John Carter book or film or whatever it was, um, hated it. But I think it's one of the best Disney films there's ever been because the action scenes in it, the did the create. It's like I can't remember the exact plot, but it's basically this guy on a load of different planets, and he's got to overcome shit. But, um. It's a bit like Cloud Atlas, I think. Have you yeah. seen that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, um, it's just like creative. The same reason I like Star Wars. But the reason I like Star Wars is because the creativity that's gone into that, into designing all the different characters, designing all the species that are being made up in George Lucas's head, designing like this religion of Jedi and the opposite, the Sith, just designing all the Tie Fighters and all the just the amount of creativity and design that's gone into creating all these different worlds impresses the fuck out of me and then not only be able to think of it in your head but then translate that onto paper onto film into cinemas into millions of people's heads is sensational mm. that is why Star Wars is the greatest franchise of all time John Carter I felt done the same but then again I was never I never knew a book existed but the film I think maybe that if you maybe if you watch it object, if you watch it objectively just as a standalone film it's no worse it, it's actually really good I think it's got good fight scenes it's got a good storyline. Um, the acting's good in it. The second film I'd nominate before we get to the one that I'm actually going to go with is the third in the Cornetto trilogy, uh, The World's End. Oh, really? So, Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fires, and then obviously The World's End was the last one. Was critically not loved because they went to like a sci-fi version and it was probably of the three it is the worst one yeah but definitely i i think it's still a million miles better than a lot of comedy films like it's still enjoyable to watch the music in it is probably the best of all three films they've got a lot of 90s music in it a lot of 90s rock mm. a lot of 90s brit pop a lot of 80s funk r&b and hip-hop it's the music in it alone makes it a good film the, yeah the storyline isn't as good as the other two films, admittedly, but it's still better than a lot of other comedies. Again, it stretches the conventions of what a comedy can be. Not, you know, as, as we discussed in the first podcast, I suppose, and off about a million ways to die in the West. That is a good example of, you know, Seth MacFarlane not translating well. Um, this is a version of sci-fi, maybe not translating well into comedy, but it still works more than a lot of other sci-fi comedies. Um, there's still good lines in it there's still good moments in it there's still good like action scenes and stuff and you know it's got a good payoff at the end I still think it's a good film yeah the cinematography in that film is unreal as well like there's so many little things you have noticed there's so many little clever quirks they added in that like uh, allude to certain things and foreshadow to certain things really really I think um as we discussed in the at length in the uh, comedy question earlier, what makes you laugh the most? I think what makes Hot Fuzz and Sean Vidal so successful is that they're so relatable mm. and they're realistic and you can imagine those things happening if they were to actually happen. Like if you were to open, uh, I don't know, the Daily Mail and 
there's a cult of people in in Gloucestershire that you know murdered people who came into the town. Like it's relatively believable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, I think that's where this film probably doesn't stand up as much as the other two. Is that because they went to aliens? It's just not relatable. Yeah, the characters are. themselves very relatable. I think I've been all of those characters at one point in my life, but um, the actual storyline itself isn't. So I think that's why people don't hold it in the high, in, in the same regard, but there's no reason why it shouldn't. They've just gone for a different genre. I think also being in the Cornetto trilogy is a very difficult place to be. You know what I mean? When you're, when yeah. you're the third Cornetto trilogy film, you've got a lot to live up to. I feel like if that was a film on its own, it would be kind of universally, everyone would yeah. be, what well, that's why to... that's, no, you're completely right, because that's why when they went off at, um, without Edgar Wright and they made the film Paul with uh, Seth Rogen's Alien, that succeeded because it was a completely different film. It was a standalone film about it being a ridiculous storyline that would never happen, you know? Mm. Um, and that's why that worked. Yeah, too much to live up to. True. But anyway, my final nomination and the film I think is being critically slated by everyone is The Phantom Menace. Yeah, I agree with you on that one. Phantom Menace was fun. It was, and I rewatched it. I rewatched it two days ago, mm. and it's still as good now as it was in 1999. Yeah, people love to hate the. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of pure Star Wars fans will hate me, but and the, you know it's critically a bit shit for like dodgy acting and stuff, and you, that's admitted. But to defend it, when that film came out, I was nine, and it's. From as I said earlier, one of the first films I remember seeing was the original Star Wars. For that, as a follow-up to Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, sensational. It's got Liam Neeson in it. It's got um, Ewan McGregor, Natalie Portman, relatively good cast. Um, fucking Samuel L. Jackson as Mace Windu. It's got the you know as I said earlier, the whole creativity thing I was saying about George Lucas. That's a reason to love this film alone. He's introduced a whole bunch of new species. He's introduced a few new planets, a few new characters, new Jedis. That's everything a 10-year-old could want, as anyone a Star Wars fan should want, although I can understand from a storyline point of view why they hated it at the time or why the critics didn't like it. But as a, as a kid or as a teenager or as just someone who likes sci-fi, I think as time goes on, I think that film will be renowned and probably portrayed as a better film as... It was slated at the time. I'd also add that Jar Jar Binks is no more of a stupid character than Chewbacca is. I think re-watching the film the other day, I actually, you know, I wasn't too bothered about Jar Jar Binks at the time, nor watching it over and over again as a kid. But re-watching it a couple of days ago, I thought, you know what, Jar Jar Binks is no less or more annoying than people say he is, or he's no more annoying than Chewbacca. In fact, he's actually comedic, comedic um, quite... Uh, comedic in the film like in the battle sequence with the robots when he's like like he's he gets a gun attached to his foot and he falls over and he accidentally kills a load of people that's that's funny like he's got some comedic elements to it when he's when he accidentally lands on one of the tanks and like it goes sideways and takes out a shitload of other tanks that's quite funny you know he's got comedic elements in it and i can kind of appreciate a bit more what george lucas was perhaps doing it's also got the best Jedi fight in between uh, Darth Maul, uh, Obi Wan, and uh, Qui Gon Jinn. Like that is the best Star Wars lightsaber fight in the whole franchise, I think. Because you think if you go back to the films in the seventies and eighties, it was a very slow, like 
wham, 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 because they knew in post-production it would be difficult to get the light to match up to the swing of the lightsaber. So the lightsaber fights in the original films were shit. Fast forward to 1999, when you've got all this new technology that have been making the Pixar films, the fucking fights were unreal compared to the original yeah. uh, 70s films. And, yeah, they, that's they, all I can they, say, really. They were huge. Also, in the Clone Wars, like, the scale of it was something I'd never seen in the old Star Wars. You know? Yeah, I, I, I need to rewatch that again, to be fair, because I don't know if... Um, obviously, I loved it at the time, but, yeah. Yeah, the CG. Yeah, it's just... I can't describe it. Just the... And also the games that came out of the prequels, you know, like the Battlefront, were actually... I yeah. played them on PS2. Loved them so much. Yeah, Battlefront was a sensational game. Yeah, it was so cool. Okay. Uh, which one are we on now? Uh, best cinematic experience. I'm going to judge this on what I said to you in the last podcast. Like, when you, when you finish watching a film at a cinema and then you come out of the cinema wanting to be that character or acting as James Bond or whatever. For me, School of Rock, I went to go and watch that with my family. Probably the last film I saw with my family before they started pissing me off. Um, I came out of that wanting to learn guitar and <laughs> go back to school. Um, <laughs> Break into your old school and just just learn guitar. <laughs> yeah, or become a, a fake teacher. Um, that was one of the films. The other film, watching Avatar in the cinema... I put that down as probably as a film that doesn't stand up today. But watching that in the cinema, again, like the graphics and, again, a new world being created, oh, it was very impressive. Um, weirdly, Jackass 3D. Yeah, I love those things. Because I, I was a big fan of Jackass, the TV series, growing up. And, you know, it was very naughty. I wasn't really allowed to watch it in the films. And, again, all the people in it, uh, Johnny Knoxville, Steve-O, Bamajira, they're all characters, although they are themselves. They are kind of characters, um, and doing doing the shitty stuff they do in them. Watching that in three D was actually like again very very funny and quite entertaining. And it was one of those like there's a big controversy about Avatar being in three D and whether it was better in three D or whether it was better without the glasses. And they cinemas have kind of jacked off that whole three D thing now. But watching Jackass in three D was just like there's there's no other experience like it. And I have fond memories of uh, watching that there. But the film I'm going to go with for best cinematic experience um, is *Inglorious Bastards*. Oh yeah, good film. Because that was—I turned 18 as this film came out, so it was the first 18 I saw in the cinema. And the writing and the acting and the cinematography in this film is probably up there as the best in any film ever. Mm-hmm. Um, because the opening scene with Christoph Waltz playing the Nazi officer um, to hunt Jewish people, and he's on that French farm, and you've got the uh, Jew Jewish people hiding under the floorboards, and he's interrogating the farmer in like three different languages. That scene goes on for like ten minutes, and you feel like you're there, being intimidated, and you hate this character. You just feel like there's such injustice in the world. And Christoph Waltz won the actor for that. Uh, won the actor won the Oscar for that role. Um, it was pretty, pretty sensational performance. And the scene later on, when they're in that little uh, French cafe outside the cinema, and they're all uh, pretending they're German when they're not. A very, very tense film, as you realise. They start kind of discover they're actually spies and not who they say they are. And um, you've got the German officer with the gun, and they're coming up with these fake backstories of who they actually are. 
very tense scene. Mm, yeah. Do you remember the uh, the sort of classic Tarantino bit where he? Uh... Oh, sorry. I need to sneeze. Ah, <sighs> oh, it's not coming. Um, the bit where they're trying to sneak into the cinema and they pretend they're Italian, and then it turns yes, out yeah. that he that Lau just speaks Italian, and he just and also he speaks in really complicated words deliberately just to annoy them. It's such a funny thing. Yeah. And then well, I like out. Yeah, I like that, I like that bit where um, Tarantino is so good with music as well, where um, he's introducing the bastards, and it kind of goes into that kind of like guitar riff where it goes down down Hugo Stieglitz was a former Nazi turned Nazi basher and like, like I mean yeah 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 the bear, the bear Jew and um, the way he introduces these uh, again renegade gang of people is um, it's great with the music mm. yeah I know I haven't seen it in ages but I know I know the scene you mean he's a good guy very good okay wait I've lost my place uh, what was it Oh, worst film you've ever seen? Um, I oh, don't. It's a tricky one. Always a tricky one. I think, I think these are bad films, but I think it was mainly the how I was feeling at the time that makes them bad. Um, I'm going to go with Friends of Benefits. Never saw it. Well, is that with Justin Timberlake? It is Justin Timberlake and Mila Kunis. Yeah, never saw it. About the only reason I went to see it is because I I went with my uni housemates at the time to go to the cinema, and I thought we were going to watch some other film. I think like Ocean's Thirteen or something that I was actually invested in, but we ended up going to watch this shit instead. So I think that's why I was pissed off. But then I, so for that reason, I don't like it anyway. But then another reason was the film was was actually shite. You got a storyline of two people who don't know whether to fuck each other or not, and this complicated relationship. But it's a relationship I'd never put myself in, and I would never want to go through and think it's misogynistic and don't agree with whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe that's me being an old fart and not up to the times. This is a man, by the way, ladies and gentlemen listening at home. I've never used a dating app in my life, and I refuse to. So I'm very stubborn in my love life. But um, it was everything I don't agree with socially. <laughs> That is what this film is. Yeah. But I mean, that's part of the sort of draw to it is that it's meant to be unusual, I guess. But I guess now... It's not, it's not unusual. It's just awful. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Keep going. And another one, and I'm not sure how I ended up watching this film. I think I was watching it with an ex-girlfriend. It's called The Ugly Truth. Again, haven't heard of it. Um, yeah, it's, it's hard to explain. I wasn't really too interested in watching it. It's about Gerald Butler is a news anchor or a television presenter in America, despite having a very Scottish accent. Right. And he's, he's, he's kind of, he's a bit of a playboy figure. Like he's a bit of a, you know, ladies man and can get what he wants when he wants a, a twat in other words. Yeah. Um, and he f- kind of like, there's this assistant producer who like, you know, plays the young upcoming just graduated university thinks she's not very good at anything kind of person and you know there's kind of like a love interest there and then they kind of go through this relationship of being on and off in a, in a relationship and then the big end climactic scene climactic scene was uh, Gerald Butler's character going live on air to do this 
massive like apology and final like love letter to this person and i just found the whole thing absolute bollocks that would never happen for one for two you would have been sacked for having an affair anyway um it was just awful like it was meant to be this like romantic comedic element it was not romantic it was just unrealistic and it wasn't funny in the slightest it was just gerald butler being a bit of a bit of a cunt as a news anchor for a couple of hours isn't it kind of weird how we both kind of chose shit comedies based on them being unrealistic because that sounds really like i don't know the word is but i don't want to say autistic because that's really not what i mean but is that it's like it was like it was it's unrealistic i'll tell you what it's like it's like someone in america put into a machine um gerald butler friends sex in the city comedy how to make money quick and then printed off a script in the machine and it printed the ugly truth that's that's what that film is yeah i guess you know some films are art pieces and some are products and from i haven't heard of that film but from the sound of it it's a product it's a shitty feel good just just watch the trailer and it's fucking awful yeah i will actually i will do good idea movie that made you cry um, uh, I'm not very emotional. I'm kind of like, I know, I, I'm not trying to like sound like a tough guy or anything like that. I've just, through traumatic childhood, learned to block out any emotion. Having said that, again, a uh, very quick mention for Ocean's Eleven. I think at the end of the film, when they're all at the Bellagio waterfall thing and they're all kind of like, it's kind of like a, a joint statement of mission accomplished and they all nod each other as they see each other for the last time, having completed the heist. Um, that's quite emotional because it's playing like Claire de Lune in the background. Mm-hmm. Uh, the very famous kind of a uh, triumphant song. Um, that gets me a bit jerky, but have you seen the film bridge to Terabithia? Oh yeah, Absolutely. That's a very sad one. But that's more of like a sad... Uh, oh, no, no, it is a sad film. It's, it's got like a, one sad key event. Yeah, so, spoiler alert. I think because... What, what, I remember my brother bawling his eyes out, out at this because what it does so cleverly is that it introduces death to a young audience because it is a film designed for, like, children and teenagers... Um, it introduces death at a young age and it introduces unfair death and at the same time the characters are all very identifiable so it's a, it's a kind of like fantasy film fantasy coming of age film and um, you've got a kid who um, you know he's not very popular at school his kids are going through a divorce I think kids in, you know, he's a bit of a loser and a loner, but he's got his own—he's got his own kind of magical land, Terabithia, where he kind of um, goes to escape, and um, he kind of befriends this girl who is also like a bit of a reject, I think. Mm. And um, the girl dies, and she's like nine. Yeah. Well, she dies. She dies then, swinging across the river or something. Yeah, she drowns. It's like the worst death you can get as well. It's not like a quick death, like a quick bullet to the head. It's it's like a slow drowning. It's it's awful. And you're watching that as a fucking 
13 year old kid and it's it's, it's you you're like why have they put this in a children's film it's it's uh very hard hitting and then the family all kind of reunite at the end as they all kind of mourn the loss of this person you know what i mean yeah and then uh, doesn't he go back to like the magical land of terabithia and like she's there yeah well it's, it's a bad in, in head. Head. pretend she's still there it's quite cute really yeah so it's got a good ending in a weird kind of way like it all kind of wraps up quite nicely but yeah that's a that is a you can't um help help but uh shed a little tear at that one mm, yeah very cute I know what you mean. I remember when I was younger, I did see that film, but I think I was, I saw it when it first came out and I was just too young to really get it. And I remember just thinking it was like really sad, but like I didn't appreciate the sadness. You know, when you're young, you don't want something to just make you feel sad. Whereas when you're older, you Mm. watch films that you know are going to make you feel sad and think you're going to enjoy it in a way. But I remember watching it when I was young being like, this is horrible. I don't want, I I think I left it. What? Yeah, why is it, life is so unfair? But yeah. That's the main thing. The whole point, the whole reason it's so sad is it's so like, um, you just, I, I can't really describe it, but the death is like, you realise that it's actually happened and you're like, oh, there's nothing that can be done. It's yeah. unfair. It's this sweet girl in the film. He's like, I think cause in, in films you watch up until that point, it's all kind of like someone gets hurt, you think they're dead and then it was all a dream or like they wake up in hospital in the next scene. Mm-hmm. But the next scene in, th- in this film is like her funeral. Like it's, it, it's dark. Yeah. It's so dark. The funeral scene. Yeah. It's, re- it's re- Did they find her body? Cause I seem to remember. I'm, 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 not, I, I'm too upset to talk about it. Yeah. Fair enough. I'm not going to watch it again. It's one of those films. I <laughs> yeah. Good choice. Uh, okay. Uh, film that you can relate to the most. Um, super bad, definitely up there. Good, yeah, good shout. Because um, you know, not I'm, uh, uh, I don't know. You, like I've been in that situation where you're too young to drink, and uh, you're kind of with your geeky little quirky friends trying to trying to get in with the the cool kids and failing. Yep, yeah, I've done that and still do that now. Um, clerks, you seen that? No. Kevin Smith film it was made for like 25 grand and it's all in black and white even though it came out in the 90s um, again it's unlike anything I've ever seen before it's just a day in the life of two clerks who love films and just talk shit all day mm. and that's relatable because when I've overworked at a meaningless job that's all I've done with people is just talk shit all day <laughs> and it is funny Sorry? There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I feel like no. a lot of people live that life. But I, I love it when, when Kevin Smith, this is his first film and this is how he made his name as a, as a director and a writer and stuff. And when he was touring the film, because it was in black and white, all the film critics were like, oh, it's, it's genius how he's the, uh, the director's chosen it to put it in black and white film. And then when they asked like Kevin Smith at a Q&A, he's like, oh, what? It's so profound. It's so, it's so enlightening to see a film uh, in black and white like this. Why have you why have you chosen to uh, subject the characters in this black and white format? And he just said, because we couldn't afford to do it in colour. Like, it was so funny. Like it's, it, it, And it's just that laid back attitude I love about it. We couldn't afford to? Uh, when was this film made? Yeah. In the 90s. Oh, black and white. Uh, fair enough, actually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And um, I think it, like, what I love about Clerks is that it's a film about nothing. 
but it doesn't need to be. It's still enjoyable. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And that's kind of a good, that's kind of um, credit to the creators because you can make a film with no yeah. actual quirk. Yeah, it's on YouTube as well, so you should de- definitely watch it if you haven't already. Yeah. It's, um, again, it's a bit quirky and a bit different, but it's, uh, I do love Kevin Smith. Um, and then the film, this film also made me cry, and I watched it not too, a couple of days ago as well. I feel I relate to most is the film Little Miss Sunshine. Mm, have a it. Oh, mate, you need to watch this fucking film. It's one of my favourite films of all time. Definitely top Little five. I'll look it up now. Write it down. Watch it tonight if you can. Um, we need to do like a film club podcast, don't we? 2006. Yeah. If I recognise it. The reason... So if you don't know of the film, the film is about a dysfunctional family, which is why I relate to it so much. You've got different characters. You've got the dad who's an unsuccessful business entrepreneur. Like he thinks he's got this business. It's just completely failing. Um, you've got the wife who's trying to um, connect all the family together. Um, and is the only one paying the bills in the family. So she's like depressed and stressed. They're getting a divorce. You've got the older brother who is trying to join the military, but he's taken a vow of silence, so he doesn't speak, and is a bit of a emo. Played by the fabulous Paul oh, Gallo, one of the greatest actors there is. I think I've seen a clip from this film. You might have, yeah. But it's it's it's, and you've got the granddad who's a cocaine addict. Um, you've got Steve Carell, who um, is a successful gay businessman who got betrayed by his business partner and then tried to kill himself, and he's just come out of rehab. And then you've got the little kid who is like a dorky little kid who doesn't understand like um, like how people judge you for being good looking and how you make a success in the world and d- decides to try and enter this uh, beauty pageant when she's like a bit dorky and not the kind of per- not the kind of kid who'd be involved in that. Mm-hmm. And then along the way, they they have to like basically get from wherever they live to Los Angeles to make it to this pageant. And this beauty pageant becomes the end goal for the family. Just everything kind of rotates and um, gravitates towards it as that is the answer to their problem. Like the dad, his business fucks up and he can't be asked anymore. So he thinks the best thing for his family to do is at least enjoy their time. And they've only got this crappy old yellow camper van that breaks down. The, the granddad dies and they've got to smuggle him out of hospital. Otherwise, they're not going to make the pageant on time. Um, the kid, the, the older brother, like breaks his vow of silence because he realizes he's colorblind and can't go into the army. Like, I've been all of those characters at one point, <laughs> which makes it so relatable. Like, I've been, I've had failed business ideas. I've wanted to just give up and join a military and being a reclusive teenager. You know, I've not wanted to join a beauty pageant and I won't anytime soon. Um, but I've been all of these people at one point. And then it's got the greatest ending of any film ever, which I won't spoil, but you need to watch it. Okay. I, I just looked it up and I have seen it. I saw the clip from it where Steve Carell says, like, you, you can't speak because of Friedrich Nietzsche. And then the guy says, yes, that's the only bit I've seen. Like, yeah, that's yeah. the guy who's got the bow of silence, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, that bit. You need... You need to watch that film first, and then watch Phone Booth, but um, and then watch Spinal Tap. This um, though, if you're kind of take anything away from this, and you haven't seen those three films, watch those three films, and it's up there. It's one of my favourite films. And then the ending scene just makes me shred a tear every time. Mm, okay, perfect. That's not on Netflix either. How annoying is fucking... Netflix has nothing, nothing. Just that's why I'm that's why I'm considering cancelling my Netflix subscription. Well, I. T- 
But um, I tell you what, you can get just just pay two pounds and watch it on YouTube. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like it would probably make more sense to do that genuinely. Oh, yeah, but generally watch that tonight if you can. It's it. You won't regret yeah, it. Yeah, we'll do. Okay, perfect. Right, next one. Relate to the most. Okay, what film do you think is objectively the best film? Might not be um, considered great. Yeah, I think all the films I've put forward for this category. I do really, really enjoy it, and they are great films. Again, if you haven't watched them, what are you doing with your life? Why are you watching shitty romantic comedies? You should have watched these first. Mm. And I know that's going to come across as a snobby opinion, but you'll watch these films and you'll love these films. Yeah. I promise you that. I don't know anyone who doesn't like these films. Number one is Jaws. Um, again, it's not my favourite film, but it's a good film, and it kind of started Spielberg's career, and you can kind of see how that changed the face of how films are made and character development and you only see the shark like three times in the film but it still makes you quite on edge yeah. um, gonna need a bigger boat is one of the ultimate movie group oh all that and the, and the, and oh funny enough the song we sang when me and teddy were drunk in croatia is is from jaws tired and i want to go home tired and i want to go to bed I had a little drink about an hour ago and it's gone straight to my head. Da, 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 da. So that's that's um, in the Jaws film. Very good. Um, <laughs> Pulp Fiction. You know, what we were saying about earlier when we said, what we said about comedies being original and that you get more brownie points for being original is something we haven't seen before. What Shaun of the Dead done for comedies in producing something we haven't seen before, Pulp Fiction done for the whole of cinema. There's not been a film like it, even Reservoir Dogs, which is Tarantino's first film before that. Pulp Fiction changed the face of how cinema was made. I've never seen a book for, uh, sorry, I've never seen a film before where it wasn't in order, it was non-linear, and I, you know, but every scene was sensationally good, whether it was action, whether it was the witty one-liners, uh, whether it was the music, it all worked. And, you know, you could arguably say since there you know, hasn't been a film quite like it since. It, can you name a film in the last 10 years that's changed cinema in the same way Pulp Fiction has? And it's saying, you know what? You don't have to make films the same way. Try something different. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's why I think we should... That's why I think in a weird kind of way we should be more critical of films because there are so many films that are made in the same way, with the same format, with the same story arc and people just eat it up like the Need for Speed films yeah. not slagging them off Need for Speed 1 and 2 fantastic films um, but they're just creating like a endless timeline of shitty story narratives with cars and people buy into it when really you should be demanding from the studio fuck that I want a different film with different camera techniques different script techniques something I haven't seen before and if it works fucking great if it doesn't work You've learned your lesson. You've still made some money. Yeah. Try something else. Well, and that's why I like... Go on. No, I was just saying, just take creative risks. Just take a risk every now and then. You can't just make a film and just be safe about it. Yeah, that's why I like um, Wes Anderson films so much, because they are unlike anything else. Like, they've created an alternative universe, really, but they're stylized unlike any other film out there. They've got a comedy timing unlike any other film out there. They've got a direction unlike any film out there. And that's why all the best actors, the Bill Murrays, the Adrian Brodies, the 
Jeff Goldblum's. That's why they all act in Wes Anderson's films because they're unlike anything else. Mm. Did you see Grand Budapest Hotel? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I really want to see that. Should I see it? Have you not seen I it? I haven't seen it. No. You, you idiots, of course. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, cool. I like that. Totally. I really want it's, to see it's it. Like, yeah, it's, it's set in a fake Soviet Russia. Oh, and it's, it is where that, where's Anderson, right? I'm not mixing that up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, again, if you haven't seen um, The Royal Tenenbaums, if you haven't seen Life Aquatic, uh, if you haven't seen Moonrise Kingdom, you're wasting your time watching these other shitty films. Trust me, I know what I'm talking about. I went to film school, although I dropped out. These films are the are the greatest <laughs> they, they're like, they're, if you haven't seen a Wes Anderson film before and you start by watching The Grand Budapest Hotel or um, The Royal Tenenbaums you'll instantly fall in love with him and want to watch everything else they make you cry they make you laugh and they're, they're, they're set and the way they're designed is unlike anything you've seen and that is reason alone to go and watch and pay money to watch these movies because they are or they're just different mm, okay fair enough <laughs> But uh, yeah, objectively, I think uh, Shawshank Redemption or Goodfellas, uh, one of those two films is probably the best yeah. that's ever been made. Shawshank Redemption is fantastic. And the music from it is fantastic too. That's what I would go yeah. with. But then I haven't seen Goodfellas. So. Oh my God. What are you doing, Will? Are you, are you writing these down? You know, it's just I, I have no way to watch these. I wish they... I wish the they fucking buy the internet. These films came out in the 90s. Yeah, my... Fair enough. Uh, next one, sexiest film. Um, a bit embarrassing, but The Mask. The, the original or the remake? The original with Jim Carrey. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, that's not that's not too ridiculous. That's a very sexy film. That was the first time I found, like, you know, when you find an opposite or a, a member of whatever sex woman, you're, you're attracted to. You're looking for. Yeah, a woman for me, but it could be... I'm, I'm just trying to <laughs> escape being homophobic. Um, yeah, I fancy women, and that was the first time I saw Cameron Diaz, and I thought, that is a kind of woman I fancy, and... Uh, yeah. Golden moment. Yeah. That's the moment you transcend. It's like when you listen to... Your I don't, know if, it's line, I don't think it's particularly... Se- yeah, I don't know if it's particularly sexy, but I found it... Um, yeah, and then the other one's Titanic. Like, yeah, it's stupidly. Yeah. When that film came out, I was in like year five or year six, and for some reason, they decided to show it in school. And obviously, there's a moment where you see Kate Winslet naked, and you can just, uh, as a ten year old, mm. you quite you find that quite amusing. Yeah. Also, like at that age, it doesn't take much. That's the one thing. I mean, I remember when, oh. I was, when I was saying about with my one, I was saying Starship Troopers. There is so little in that film in terms of like nudity, but like, you know, like it, yeah. and you just go and it's the first thing you've seen. You're like, holy shit! You're like, and oh it's Denise Richards. And now you wouldn't even look twice, but like back then, it was everything. It was like Jesus Christ. Well, Denise Richards in her prime was a specimen. Yeah. Um, I mean, she ca- can't act to save her life, but. She's a good-looking girl. Yeah. Who does she play in that for in Starship Troopers again? What's the name of the character? You know no, what? I can't remember. No, no I don't know why. I do like the film. That film's got um that guy from uh, what's he called? Harris. I mean Harris. Guy from oh oh what's that? Film? Not Patrick Harris. Neil Patrick Neil Neil Patrick Harris. Yeah. Mm. 
Yeah, which God, that feels. I don't know what sitcom. I don't know what sitcom. What sitcoms call he's in? Is it uh, Two and a Half Men? Something like that. Yeah, the one with the bro poo in it. I never really liked it. Yeah, I'm not. I don't know. Don't hate him. Don't love him. I haven't really seen anything he does. But it was. It was how I met your mother, wasn't it? That's the one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I know. I know what you mean. Denise Richards, Neil Patrick Harris. Yeah, he plays with a doctor or something. That's right, yeah. Which is weird because he looks like he's 12. Mm. Denise Richards. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah. God, I'm looking at the screenshots for this movie and I know exactly what you mean. Anyway, okay. I won't. Look it up. <laughs> uh, where am I? A film you should not have found, found a rise. Ugh, Jesus, let me start that again. <laughs> Denise Richards is there. Uh, she's ruined you. She's really like, you know, men, we really do have a weakness. Um, <laughs> the thing is with Denise she looks like gettable you know what I mean she isn't like so like cliche porn model but she looks like the kind of no. attractive girl in, in your English class you know what I mean uh, 100% she's girl next door she's like yeah someone who'd be at your school um, a film you should not have found arousing uh, I'm going to say them quickly in the hope they aren't too embarrassing okay, um, the Liddy Maguire movie and The Lion King Okay, Lion King, you're going to have to rewind for me. Explain. What's the, what's the girl lion in it called? Uh, Lana? Like it's starting to get beating with L, yeah. Uh, let's just say I don't know. Lana. Uh, I, I don't want to go into detail. I, I don't know why. I have no explanation why. You have no explanation. You know what's weird? Eddie Redmayne in an interview on the Graham Norton show, we had the exact same thing. It was Nala. Nala. Yeah. That's really weird. That. Which is an anagram of anal. So yeah, maybe that's why. You... Oh no, no! Yeah. Don't delete this. That's what you. Well, I mean, that's that's foreshadowing. Foreshadowing, definitely. <laughs> Fair enough, though. I mean, I've heard a lot of people say that about cartoons. It's not too weird. Uh, let's let's move on. Okay, fair enough. You can cut this bit out. <laughs> uh, what one film are you taking to heaven to screen? Last question. Um, we've I've spoken a lot about any of the previous films we could have said, but um, I think for ironic purposes, I think it's got to be Life of Brian. Mm, I had a feeling you'd say Life of Brian, but then again, I mean, it is it does stand alone as a comedy as well. But then the irony, yeah, the it's irony would be too sweet to avoid. I think I'm not a massive fan of Monty Python. That's the weird thing. Like the Holy Grail, the film they've done before this, is also very good. Yeah. But their sketch stuff, like, it's very hit and miss for me. Um, I think all the people who are in Monty Python, I think individually on their own, they've done more successful and better things like Forty Towers or uh, Michael Palin's travel stuff or um, Terry Gilliam's films. But um, The Life of Brian is definitely, it's just everything you could want from a film. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't take itself too, it's the opposite of taking a film too seriously. But then the message is that the film has are timeless and very important in today's society as they were back then. Like you don't have to follow anyone. You don't have to do anything that anyone else wants to do. Um, because that is the way that other people do it. You, you do you kind of thing is the real message under, under all of it, under the parameters of religion. Um, and then it's also got the, it's arguably got the greatest ending, ending of any film ever, you know, with the harmonious, song as they're about to be crucified <laughs> you, you, you know it, it, it's um if someone were to say what's english humor you'd say that and then the bit in the middle where they're chasing brian 
they're um sorry, don't know what's happened there. Um when they're when they're chasing Brian through the through the through uh, Jerusalem yeah. and then he falls off a tower and it looks like he's gonna die, then an alien spaceship just like swoops and picks him up. Yeah. Like you'd know, you, if you saw that for the first time, you wouldn't and yeah, sorry I spoiled it, but you wouldn't you'd never see that coming. Also, like from a critical point of view, even if you don't like Monty Python, you've got to admit stuff like the aliens abducting Brian and a lot of their sketches were so ahead of their time it's insane like you mm. you watch that and yeah. it's in the 70s and the humor is just abs it's so far ahead of what anyone was doing even if you don't like it, even for us because it's it's kind of a lot of it's safe for us but for 1970s mm. audiences it must have felt like they were on crack because like it was so yeah so like, ridiculous it gave, it gave birth to like all the sketch comedy that the bbc has done today and what we know today you know um <laughs> and the and the the kind of I don't know I suppose what you I don't know what you'd say really but it's um, got its place in a time capsule and is certainly the reason why we have so many excellent comedies yeah, it's a big around the today it was like a cultural leap forward yeah 100% and the fact that it did try to get you know people did try and ban it and it was banned in like loads of councils in the UK and other countries and stuff because they didn't understand it mm. it wasn't because there was anything there's nothing really bad in the film against religion it's just it, they just didn't understand it without seeing it. They prosecuted it. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. um, and then that, that kind of broke the ice for comics um, or activists to speak out against politicians and things they deem wrong today. Yeah. yeah I think I'll go with you on that. What did I say? Trains, planes. Yeah. I'd still go with my choice, but <laughs> the irony is still good with the uh, Monty Python. And I mean, have you seen the meaning of life? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that one's kind of crazier in so many ways, and a bit weirder. But yeah. yeah, that was like it's extremely experimental. It has its moments, but um, it's very avant-garde. Great word, yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely right. Well, that's the last question. We are done. We are Romeo done. Yeah, finito. It's been a long time. Once again, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed our two episodes on um, the films that made us, me and Will, that is. Uh, again, send us your films. And, you know, I don't mean to come across too arrogant in, in, the, in the podcast, but honestly, if you like films and you haven't seen any of the films we've mentioned, um, apart from the ones we describe as worst films, you should probably, you know, if you've got time, especially over lockdown, highly recommend watching them. They are great and you might end up, they might end up becoming your new favourite film. And if not, you you still watched a good film and at least you have an opinion on it now rather than not seeing it yeah. uh, Will if you could recommend one film we've talked about what would you recommend oh Buried definitely Buried Buried um, and I'd go with Little Miss Sunshine yeah. it's a fantastic film yeah I'll be watching that soon no worries well until next time stay safe and we'll see you in the next one bye bye love you all mwah, mwah, mwah. <laughs>